Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, and this is going to be episode 94 with industry-leading matte painter and conceptual artist, Levi Pettifee. We jump right in and discuss where Levi's current state is in his career, where he's come from, and how he's ended up as a freelancer working from home on many projects. We discuss Levi's concept of time management, his viewpoints on the current role and responsibilities of matte painters in this industry, amongst many other topics. I give a big thank you to Levi for coming on and sharing his journey with us all. Here comes episode 94. Let's roll. Welcome on the show, man. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I've been, as I said in emails, been listening to the shows uh, on and off. I have a couple of friends who's been on and are actually like Vitali from the Blizzard Blizzard days. Mm, cool. Uh, Ma- Mache I knew a few years back. Khan is a good friend here in London. So it's it's a small little world. That's awesome. Yeah, it is a small world. The cool thing about it is that it's all kind of joined together. We're all, um, that's what I think is kind of fun about the podcast because we're all kind of connected in some way or some form, you know. And mostly it's just the creative spirit, you know, that's the beauty of it all, which I think I find to be really fun and interesting, you know, developing it. But yeah, man, well, let's talk a little bit about like what you're interested in now and maybe we'll go backwards from there. We can kind of break it down, like what you're interested in now, what you're doing now, and then kind of figure out where all this stuff came from. And Mm. yeah, I've never done that really. So I'm going to try and try a different formula. Going backwards. Yeah. Okay. Let's just like, what are you into? Like, currently what what's pushing you to continue to work and create and stuff uh currently there's several big projects um so one one of the projects that i'm working on is a uh, kickstarter funded project uh a graphic novel or actually it's there's several graphic novels but i'm doing one of them it's called avalon the world within uh about 2012, I think, I was contacted uh, uh, through one of the authors. And we were talking about this, this project. And I, I, I read through the content and read through the brief and treatment. It like, sounded really, really cool. And I'm still, I'm still hooked on it. And that's kind of like a really strong incentive for me to keep working on it. It's, it hasn't been financially... Uh, positive yet but the, the, the idea is so good that that's the single thing that kind of keeps you going wow so we're we're kind of slowly growing and we realize that what we're trying to do is 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 ambitious for doing with just a few people so there's a couple more people connected through projects um, a friend of mine nadia is currently working at npc is helping us out Swedish friend uh, Johan uh, is also helping, and Poe. So this this project has slowly been growing and growing, becoming more and more ambitious. And hopefully, if all goes well, we can kind of coin the term of cinematic novels. Cool. Uh, it would it would basically be like uh, a comic book, well, or a graphic novel, if you will, but represented in a way of like screen grabs from a movie. So. Um, that it did, it still have like the sequential art 
uh, aspects of it, you know, how you do your page layout and how people read from left to right, how you position the characters and all this stuff that goes into it. The big difference is that the rendering uh, of the imagery will be like very moody and very cinematic. So hence, cinematic novels. Awesome. Uh, I saw some that, of the work on your site, which is kind of cool. It has like the breakdown of it. Like I think there's a couple pages on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Sorry, what were you saying? So that's that's one of the projects. Uh, the second one is the industry workshops, which is an event that we held last year in uh, late August. It was... Uh, well, we basically started as a couple of friends of us. Uh, Colin was actually in it. We were like a group of 12 people or so. I think got together in a pub and started talking about experiences and sharing knowledge. And we really wanted to do something in the form of a workshop. Um, so we, we got together and started doing it. And we got more and more people on board. Uh, and then it kind of died down for a little while because we were... I think the group was a bit too big to make like decisions quicker. Yeah. So we we kind of boiled down to three people. It's me, Daniel Matthews, and Richard Burns who kind of uh, holding the, uh, the events together and organizing it together. We have uh, key experiences from different different things. Like Richard, he has done events before, so he has that to come in with. And then Daniel helps us with communication and... and uh, knew the people from the first venues, uh, so that was really helpful as well. And we got together, made a website, started selling tickets, and by the end of August, we had a really, really great workshop, and we invited uh, our friends over to do lectures, um, people who I know from NPC and outside NPC who become good friends uh, since then. Awesome. So can we're going to keep... Can you explain to people what, um, what an, a workshop entails for those that aren't? Yeah, so the, so the workshop is... Well, it, first, it is a very generic name, but that's actually intentional because we, we want to branch out to different things within the entertainment industry. So the first year, we had lots of people who has experience from uh, post-production, pre-production, 2D, digital art, and traditional art. Uh, and they came in and held lectures for their, for the attendees. And this year, we're going to focus a lot more on 3D, so 3D character works, uh, environments, vehicles, uh, motion graphics, and so on. So I was, it was funny because I, I, I checked out the podcast site today, and there was Benjamin last episode. Yeah. And we just chatted with him like two days ago. Oh, really and then Mike, cool. and, and Mike Hill. Oh, Ben's great. Yeah, Ben and uh, Mike. So they're gonna come up with some cool stuff for us this this year. Awesome! That's really uh, cool. Yeah, ideally, I I would love to bring the workshop and the event to do it every year. So you know, one one year we can have like cinematographers and people talking about cameras and ph- photography, which I really love to do. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll see where that ends up. That's cool. That's like a. It seems to be an ambitious thing that a lot of people are taking on. Like my friend uh, Anthony Jones, who does like the Creative Juice thing, which I participated in, which is really cool. That was a lot of fun, and it's. Um, it seems like it's the dawn of age for artists and people in the industry to kind of 
it's that's what it feels like there's this like kind of surge of people wanting to connect with one another and share and um like support one another i guess it's pretty interesting um for an industry of individual people um it's pretty supportive you know especially it's definitely been uh, growing more and more like when when i was trying to learn this stuff there was nothing yeah there was basically gnomon if even that <laughs> yeah uh, so uh, we really i mean and we were so eager to learn new stuff but there's no there was no like streaming lecture websites there's no uh annual events there was the forums that were quite big at the time uh concept dot art concept art.org was one of them cjun and so on for people who worked did a lot of 2D sketching and painting and map painting and then there was CG talk uh, but other than that uh, I don't know it's, it feels like with the social media today it's it's becoming more and more spread out and the success of YouTube grouping groups and channels and sharing information it's just kind of feels like it's exploded yeah it's pretty awesome I think it's really um I'm hoping that it helps people grow and diversify and try different things. I think what you're saying, your theme for this one, for your workshop, is like showing different avenues of development, I guess, or concept art and stuff. And I, th- I think that's really yeah. important. You know, I think um, cross pollinating is where we're going to get originality because nothing's really unique and original. I guess you know, I mean, yeah. you might think it is, but it's already been created in one way or form pretty much <laughs> but it's i mean yeah. it's it's unique in its own right so i'm not trying to say that but um yeah and and even if you have uh, you know lots of concept artists and they're all high profile they they have they do things in a certain way and sometimes they have like little pieces of uh, really great uh, advice that they're kind of had during the years of development that if you know ex- expressed that during a workshop that that can mean so much for the attendees and people who are kind of aspiring to to learn more and more sure i'm sure you learn a lot too from these exchanges too well i had to run around like a like a crazy person on the last event making sure <laughs> everything was running smoothly but That's true <laughs> yeah i tr- i tried to i tried to Did you, would you rather um not facilitate it and just be a, a partaker in the event or do you enjoy the madness of creating something like that actually since that was the very first time i did um i did enjoy it even though it was quite stressful and you slept very little and had these long long days i still quite enjoyed it because you can what you've been planning for for months and months is just kind of taking shape and happening right in front of you yeah. And it was ni- nice to see people reacting positively and doing portfolio reviews and talking about career development and uh, just being ha- having that kind of uh, inspiration in their eyes. That was great. That's awesome. That's cool to be fi- be able to facilitate something like that with a positive help or change or something. You know. Yeah, I'm really helpful for for the guys that I'm I'm uh, doing this workshop with because their experience came is really really important and. I couldn't have made it without them, really. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, you got to be able to have your team of people if you're going to do anything big like that. So Yeah. Awesome. So we have Avalon, your workshops, and what else is going on? 
so other than that, <laughs> I gotta make a living, so it's freelance stuff. Sure. Freelance work. Uh, usually, it's uh, often it's it's like map painting type of work. Sometimes conceptual artwork. It could be quite various subjects of uh, vehicles or characters or environments, but uh, map painting most of the time. And that's when I what I usually started doing with my career, or when I first started working. Um, map painting was your entry, so did you get like the Dylan Cole DVDs and all that stuff? Yes, yes, I remember those. <laughs> Dylan Cole, uh, Yannick Dussault, who's currently art director at ILM, I believe. Yeah. Uh, there were. I also really got got into the like the old school map painting. Oh yeah, that's stuff, the best. The, the glass map paintings. <sighs> so uh, sick. Although, have you seen like the Star Wars stuff where they did? Hoth and all that stuff. Oh, it's so good. Or even like the old Indiana Jones stuff that they did. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, there's there's a great blog called uh, NC Pete's Matt Blog, I think it's called. NC uh, Pete. It's uh, really a treasure chest for old school map painting and uh, that kind of invisible art. Uh, there's so much more, so much content on it. And Star Wars is one of them, but also latest uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Uh, it used to be more map painting focused, but now it goes into a lot more depth. And I usually check it out a lot. Um, and so oh, many yeah. favorites from dating back to the early birth of map painting to you know, Hitchcock, uh, Albert Whitlock, the huge uh, Roman movies from the 60s. Um, all that stuff is so inspiring. Oh man, yeah, I've never seen this resource. It's it's crazy. So for people listening, it's N as in N N as yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> no, let me do it. No, let me do it. <laughs> Go ahead. NZ Pete. Yeah. If you Google we'll, that, you'll find it. Yeah, we'll have a link too. It's really. I'm looking. I'm just scrolling through it quickly. There's a, a ton of stuff for. Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece 2001 there's a huge article on it which is really interesting I gotta I love this kind of stuff and that's the beauty of today um you really uh you have everything that you could ever need with the internet yeah. you know like yeah oh yeah you yeah. have access to other people which is probably one of the most amazing things and then you also have access to plethoras of archaic information and just it's just amazing yeah so I don't know why particularly it was it was map painting. That yeah, I wanted to ask did, you that. What, well, it kind of did it for me. Uh, are there you was, into film, cinematics, photography? Is it a combination of all those things? Realism? Are you? There was. I, I think there was. Uh, I remember seeing this breakdown of uh, the old some some old map painting work, and when I saw the movie, I didn't think about it that it was it was a map painting. But when you saw the breakdown. And you have this really amazing reveal, like, oh, shit, it's, it's a painting. And I was just so blown away by that, that, that kind of high level of, of, of artistry and skill they put into these shots that it actually kind of helped uh, fooling people. And uh, I, there's something that, about that that appealed to me, like... I love to fool people if I can kind of reach that level and kind of uh, create these environments and backgrounds. And then one day is like, it's not real. It's just created digitally or painted or done in some other way. 
Sure. All an illusion. But All help, an illusion, yeah. Helping that illusion, I guess. It's, it was just kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very alluring. I remember um, really being captivated by it, too. There was everything else going on, but I was actually more drawn to matte painting at first as well because of that idea, too, the the magic behind it and also the idea that you're if you're good enough, you're going to fool an entire audience, you know, and that's kind of, that can be a lot of fun. Um, just the idea that with your one piece of work, you can you can captivate or build their imagination or help the director build something that isn't necessarily there, you know? Yeah. 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 It's all the way to final usually, which is great. So it's not like, um, it's not like a concept art sketch that gets interpreted, interpreted by like, you know, 40 to a hundred different other people. It's, or whatever. It's like directly to the plate, which is yes. really great. Too. Yes, so yes. There's like a clean, straight path to the final destination, I guess, which is really cool. I wouldn't say that to, to this day because it's such a vast uh, branch. Like today, you have to kind of know quite a bit of 3D, quite a bit of compositing. Uh, um, yeah. it, it's more TD heavy than I think people are aware of. The map painting bit is, I mean, it all depends on how the shots are designed and the cameras are moving and so on. But uh, it's it's quite more technical. It's turning into like environment artist type of combination as well. They're merging the two. It's not like a 2D plane or yes. <laughs> that's yes, moving yes. parallaxing. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. I'd like to know more about that. Like the last thing I remember watching where it had a really high level um, is one of Fincher's films. It's Zodiac. Have you seen that? The, I've seen it, yeah. the entry shot. I, I guess they spent like a quarter of the budget just on that entry shot. <laughs> something <laughs> yeah. like something obscene like that, just because that um, first introduction shot was just so CG heavy. heavy and since um, Fincher is just has a really immaculate eye, and he comes from visual effects, he understands what it needs to be and where it can go and stuff. So it's actually a really awesome shot too. Um, if you're not paying really close attention, you can really believe it. It's that good. I don't yeah. know if you, have you ever seen that film? Oh yeah, I've uh, watched it several times. Yeah. I'm a big fan of a couple of his movies. Seven is one of the, one of my favorites. Sure. Um, for the grading and the lighting, I'm a big big fan of lighting. Yeah, that's a uh, Darius Kanji, I think. That's, yes, yes, yes. He did also. Um, the children movie too. Uh, Delicatessen of, is another one, an Alien Resurrection, I think. Yeah, yeah, he did this in with Fincher again, I think, on that. So, yeah, his style and his very interesting noir, like heavy light, and, and but just like really a great way of paint, painting things, I guess. Um, what's that called? There's like a technical old term, like chiaroscuro or something like that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I think light, uh, dark, or something. Mm. But it's really beautiful, though. It's really awesome. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so map painting and freelancing, and so what else you got going on? If that isn't enough. <laughs> well, I try to do uh, studying when I when I get a chance for it. Uh, What's the last like, thing that you studied? Uh, I've been looking at some of Scott Eaton stuff about anatomy, and uh, I think it's really like I, I go to life drawings when I when I have the time for it among these projects. 
but I think like the whole uh, by sculpturing and understand the volume of muscles and, and, and the body in 3D space is where you kind of um, get the most valuable knowledge of, of the human anatomy. And so that's why I'm kind of looking at some of this stuff and sketching on the side as well. Uh, yeah. Learning is really important. You know, I think it helps you. You, you still f- be in love with the um, the thing that you're doing. It helps you evolve, and it also ha- keeps you relevant, I think, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's really I, important as an artist, especially as a freelancer, too. You know, mm-hmm. you're not in the office where people can see you every day. You're kind of out of sight and almost out of mind, so you have to be, um, ha- you have to have a really strong internet voice, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I try to like when I when I when there's a new gig that comes in or a freelance job, um, I try to use that as a new as a learning a learning experience. Like uh, maybe look at new tools to solve a certain or particular problem. It could be more or less technical. Um, for instance, if the map painting shot requires some kind of interactive or fluid or moving elements. Then I go online and start researching and what kind of bits that I can use and learn to be able to kind of solve that problem. Awesome. Um, there was a Cadbury commercials uh, chocolate chocolate brand uh, we did for NBC a while ago. We had a bunch of matchups that we were doing and buildings wrapped in Christmas paper. I think it was something like that. Hmm. So some of the work was kind of delegated to the math department, and I was working there at the time. And we're looking at Maya and cloth simulations and how to kind of make movable things. Yeah. But after that, you have another thing you can add to your skill set. So it it kind of makes you able to do more and more as you keep going along. Yeah. Helps you diversify, and also, I guess, like I said, I think it helps. At least for me, when I learn new things, it helps me um, continually fall in love with what I do. You know, which then keeps me like energized and excited because the curiosity. Because sometimes it's not the piece. Um, because if you do, I, for me, if I do a piece um, a week later, I'm like, eh, and I keep moving on. You know, like it's not the piece. It's more like the destination rather than like these little these little journeys, I guess, are these little destined. I mean, it's a journey. I mean, not, not the destination. So yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I uh, think education really helps that and being self-disciplined enough to like educate yourself properly is really good. Yeah. That kind of jumps into the issue of time management. If yeah. you don't have these kind of starting points or indicating moments to learn something new, then, need to set aside something on a schedule for your day maybe uh to like okay one hour of this or one hour of that um just to keep a momentum of the studying are you a big planner i uh, <laughs> i try to be yeah what's, uh, what's your t- strategy <clears throat> well i still i have a um i calendar notification system kind of thing hmm. so i set up a schedule like a general general schedule for my for my week uh it's quite silly because it could go into detail you know eleven thirty is time for coffee that's good yeah <laughs> kind of thing uh 
I have, I have, I'm very big on lists. I'm very big on strategy of time management. I'm, I'm a firm believer that what separates the good and the best is time yeah. and the management of time. And, um, yeah, I really am. A, I'm a firm believer in that. I, at, the, at the same time, what I want to make sure I'm emphasizing is not like just time sitting at the desk. It's like remembering, reminding yourself to take a time to go like take a 45 minute walk and really smell the air and think and let your brain digest. I've heard actually, I've read um, that Mozart actually, I think it was Mozart that would just take these crazy long walks. He would walk for like just five hours or something like that mm. and just wander about and um, let his mind kind of roam around and perhaps imagine without that if he just sat there at the piano and had to like just kind of build it out maybe he got inspiration from that those walks in that world you know and yeah because yeah you never know i mean i have no clue it'd be awesome to have, <laughs> to have met him the master but yeah but i think um what do you did you read some books or something that helped you with time management i'm really curious about it so i'm gonna poke, poke and prod because i want to know your system uh <laughs> um well I had to come up with a solution because it was very hard for me to kind of gauge how much of something I was really doing during a day. Uh, I could, if I didn't have the schedule, I would go, I would start a day and t say to myself, okay, I need to sit two hours and do this. But in actuality, you would sit there six hours. Yeah. There's no way that you could kind of, be because say, say if you have several other projects, and you're meant to work on all of these kind of simultaneously. And then one project uh, suffers because of the time you spent on another project. So that's why the whole scheduling thing bit comes in. So there's like a cutoff, cutoff time for when you actually need to kind of have a wake-up moment and go around and walk and then come back and do something else. Uh, as for time management books, I haven't really... Uh, read anything i've been listening to to your podcast with uh because some uh, some of these guys have really great tips yeah vitaly on, does in general yeah and how he did and uh, how they try to tackle this especially as in you know, these are all very ambitious people and there's so many things happening in a very short time yep and the techniques and the, and the way that people utilize their time is really uh, essential. Like Vitaly, I remember him using this like hourglass thing or this like 30-minute hourglass thing. Mm. And just by seeing time uh, fleeting, it really engaged his mind to realize that time really is slipping away, take control over it or use it wisely. And I think that's really something special. I think that's something that... Um, utilizing that as a, as a technique to help you, you know, I don't know, work within that range or somehow like help you visualize it or uh, understand its um, importance in your life, you know, so. Yeah. I, and also for, for the actual work that you do, I, I try to, um, it, let's say you get a, get a, a freelance gig in and the, the client says, um, I want results by the end of the day, something like that. Usually, I, I try to do, before I even start all the work, I try to come up with something that helps me iterate very quickly uh, to always have that in the back of your mind to whatever you're engaging in. What's the quickest way of solving a certain thing? Yeah. Uh, to, to minimize the time spent on something. Uh, so, instead of working on one 
direction, you lay the base for five different directions and see like overall which one is the most strongest you feel for. And that's the one you work on. But always having think about time and efficiency to make sure that you can do you can manage the, the several projects you're doing because you're solving problems quicker. Yeah. Manifestation I think is really keen and also being able to visualize, I've noticed. Like for me at least, I was talking about this with my friend Ryan uh the other day after lunch and I was just saying how sometimes uh I like to sit and just really I wouldn't I don't know if I'd call it meditate, but like do a really deep introspection of like just where like visualize these things and this is maybe like a very weird high level kind of way of approaching these things but um i guess with what i do is a little bit different more complicated like complicated in weird ways like um visualizing things that um really don't even uh, like exist in any form and so trying to figure out what it looks like how it works and how it functions by just sitting there and really thinking about it focusing on it and, and playing with it in your mind using your imagination building it in your mind and then once it clicks or so makes somewhat sense and then uh, translate it into a sketchbook and then translating it to every other form that you can and bringing it to life and then hopefully it's somewhat close i wish we could just print the things in our head <laughs> 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 like plug a printer or like plug a computer up to our minds and be able to show the world what's inside of our imaginations and stuff because that'd be really powerful yeah <laughs> we'll be sitting, sitting still all the time though yeah fat, fat. Oh, uh, well, don't we already? So. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> you see that uh, Oculus Rift thing? Yeah, that guy, he's like, he's like got like two Soylents and like he's eating lunch and then like he's just outside a bistro. Yeah. He's like just overweight and just, he looks like a, <laughs> like a horrible version of Wally. It's like, what the hell? Yeah, that that picture would like went everywhere. It was so funny. Yeah. The future. It's, it's the future. It is. Uh, but, it's but, the bad but, side of the future. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's everything that's not sexy about the future <laughs> we have films like blade runner it's like dirty and gritty but like then you have like some like totally br brightly lit daylight of a guy outside of a restaurant with the, <laughs> i can I imagine like a, a record scratching moment and then the elevator music <laughs> imagine putting that in a film <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> yeah but there's something there though it's interesting and i think that there's something funny about the reality of that is yeah. where we're probably going you know mm -hmm. facebook uh wants to make the metaverse i imagine you know they want to make some kind of in a virtual interaction system you know like there's so much there's so much going on with technology and especially vr is that something that you're interested in as well uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can. I was just playing a a, um, a game demo on the PlayStation uh, Silent Hill Hill mm. PT. PT. Oh, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> That's so intense, dude. Oh god. Yeah. Imagine imagine playing that with Oculus Rift on. Oh man, it's just like sensory overload. <laughs> yeah, it's just like almost on the edge of getting a traumatic experience because the games and the game engines are becoming so good with the lighting and environments. I think they made that in Unreal or something. Is that what they used? Yeah, that that thing was out of control. <laughs> I remember uh, watching the gameplay of it and just being like, "What the hell?" Like <laughs> a bit <there> before. <laughs> yeah, it's just intense, man. It's so intense, and yeah, it's that's that's what's interesting, though, right? I guess 
to go back to what you're saying about map painting and that magic of putting people in there or fooling them into a reality, this is like that idea, but way bigger because it's a full immersion experience, you know, and that's yeah. to me is like, that's the next level of that magic trick, you know? Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. It's interesting to see where all this is going, where the industry is going with this stuff. And um, I'm curious to see where it's going to end up. Yeah. Well, well, there's certain things with map paintings which kind of, uh, with map shots, that kind of takes you out of the reality, although it's meant to be taking you into reality and focus mm -hmm. on story, is that sometimes you have these really intense, crazy camera movements that takes you out of there like you could not be a spectator if that was your point of view. Sure. And that fact kind of pulls you away from it and, and experiences your experience is more like a, I, I don't know, fun park ride instead. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not uh, too keen on when I watch a film and I'm pulled out of it. I'm not super yeah. happy about that usually. So then I feel like, ah, well, now I know I'm watching a movie rather than being riding the broom with Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is like, you know... There, there's, there's all these. I, I read this really interesting article months back about like um, how we look at things and how we view things, and also like, so in a film, when we watch a film, we're actually so if it's like two hour movie or so, we're missing about ten per ten minutes of it because we blink. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> so that that alone already, we're already like missing ten minutes of that experience. And then there was something else about the way we we view films, um, the center focus. And that's what makes really interesting, like, I guess, like Stanley Kubrick, for example, who really understood um, the power of composition and, and where to put the audience's attention. Same with, like, Hitchcock and stuff as well and mm -hmm. setups and stuff, which is interesting. But, yeah, I think as far as, like, matte painting, sometimes I feel like, um, it's just, just my opinion, but some films or commercials, like, they're such fans of themselves that they end up mocking themselves by making, like, a... Like, it's like, I don't know, it's like getting ice cream and, like, putting the toppings are more are bigger than the ice cream itself. <laughs> yeah, you know? no, I see what you mean, yeah, yeah. And it makes you sick. <laughs> and it's oh, like, yeah. it doesn't, doesn't serve its purpose. That's why I would mention, like, the, the beauty of those original um, Star Wars matte paintings, you know, because there was a craft there, but it was, it was so well integrated and it felt like it supported the world, basically, you know. Yeah, it wasn't like look at this map painting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I I feel with you. I mean, I uh, I actually get in trouble here in the flat when we're watching movies. It kind of like oh, that's a map painting. Or <laughs> look at me like shut shut the fuck up. <laughs> Can you spot uh, it now with you, with the what you've done been doing? How long you've been doing it for? Is it pretty easy for you to spot this stuff? Uh, not always, not always. Uh, and I'm really happy that I can't always spot it. Sure. Uh, it's, it's, you see like recurring things that happens a lot on the map painting compositing side. You have like, uh, well, there's a certain things that kind of logically gives it away. If it's too high of a budget to actually build a thing, then it has to be map painting. Um, if 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 the lighting is feels artificial, then it has to be a digital environment or a combination of that and a map painting. Uh, it's usually uh, sometimes subtle things that kind of gives it away. 
sometimes not so subtle things, but uh, I, I, I am kind of longing more for the invisible, the subtle kind of trickery, the, the, the more the old school kind of approach to the map paintings. Rather than showing like the big beautiful vista with god rays and whatnot. <laughs> what makes a great matte painting for you? I've been actually thinking like since the so this discipline has evolved so much and we're becoming more and more um, sophisticated with technology and doing matte painting. And I I love photography books and especially like nature photography. And there's a couple of books that are like aerial landscapes of Africa or Iceland. Mm. Iceland's and I, so beautiful, man. Yeah. It, it, and you look at these beautiful photographs and say like, yeah, that's the next level of map painting. Like you would have these environments that are a little bit alien, a little bit different, but they're rendered and they're so uh, crisp and just feels real. Um Rather than using the same old tricks for the map painting stuff uh, that you see recurring over and over and over again. So I guess more like visual variations, experimentations a bit. But uh, So like you're saying pull from the source material, which is Earth and yes. humanity's interpretation of how light works and yeah, the yeah, science yeah. of it all. So Yeah. Uh, I think that's the best way because what nothing beats the real thing, you know. So um that's the beauty of it. I remember hearing Dylan talk about um working with Peter on the Lord of the Rings stuff and Peter was saying how much he hated matte paintings. Um mm. he wanted to have practical effects. And I remember hearing that starting out and I was, my heart was broken cause I was like, Oh, I want to do matte painting. And like, oh, <laughs> like and people don't like it. I, you know, and, and, um, you know, it turned out he realized that Dylan uh, had a different skill set and really helped bring a whole nother life to his films, which really helped because, you know, you, you can't really do these like Mordor and all that stuff without the inclusion, yeah. the inclusion of these things because it just doesn't exist, you know? And, yeah. Um, and so his, uh, the, the way that he worked with that was really cool. I felt, but I feel like Dylan is also first and foremost was originally, especially when he was doing that stuff was, was a fan of photography and a fan of looking and seeing and understanding how things work in the world based off of light and shadow and depth yeah. and all that stuff. And yeah. a lot of these things, I remember watching the dot, like his, uh, tutorials and stuff and just being like, what? Uh, what is he talking about? <laughs> and then not until like later on, obviously, until it's like almost like I was blind to certain things, you know. You, did you, you know that uh, Michael Pangrazio is an old school map painter? He 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 is a winner, but I think he's more art directing now. I'm not quite sure. Hmm. Uh, but but he, I remember a very, uh, I don't know. There was an article with him, I think, and it was about some some of the Star Wars map paintings. I may be mistaken, but the what I want to get to is that he did these glass map paintings, and you can imagine it takes quite a while to do them. Yeah, and iterate ideas and ver verbs and so on. But he would have absolutely no problem of completely discarding it and restarting again. I was like, holy shit! And then I w that kind of gave me like a, a on and off switch within me it's like how can how can he kind of see the artwork in that way and at any day come in and kind of restart and you know basically have the 
glass matte painting and turn it to shreds. And that made me think about how you kind of distance yourself from the work sometimes as it kind of be very grinding and very exhausting. Yeah, it's incredibly of, taxing. How, how, can you, how can you approach something and then the other day say like, okay, we're, we're good with starting over again. <laughs> but yeah. s- still maintaining like the high artistic quality to it. Yeah. What, <laughs> it's, what the fuck? It, uh, that's like a marathon you know it's just yeah that's really intense stuff to think that people are putting in so much work especially when you're we're talking about like traditional media too we have the amazing opportunity and the curse to have a certain little something called control z and (laughs) the power of being able to alter um, time is really unique um but yeah you don't really have there's no control z with painting which i think is interesting because it makes your intentions very much pure i guess mm-hmm. um but actually there's some if you go to that website and z pete uh there's a couple close-ups of map paintings amongst them lots of star wars stuff as well and you if you go close to them they're not detailed at all yeah, but and it's the way the focus of the camera is pushing it. Yes, so. yes, yes. They, they're kind of on the edge of what works. Yeah. So that way you don't have to kind of scrutinize over, you know, if I want to say today's term, like pixel areas. So they, they knew exactly where the shot, how the shot was designed and what the smallest details they could get away with. And then just kind of adapt to that. But it still worked though, and I think that film grain, film itself, the translation from lighted lighted plate to lens to um, emerging the other parts of everything. Yeah, I think there's um, there's a lot that gets lost in translation in the in a good way, you know, which is good too. Yeah, I'm looking at the site. I'm, I can't wait to like just nerd out on this. There's so much stuff. Yeah, this is so much fun. I love the. For me personally, I love the process and making of things. I just find it to be so unique. I think sometimes I like to be uh, ignorant to things because uh, I was talking with uh, my friend Peter about this, and he's much more in the school of thought where it's all about the ending. It's all not the ending, but the goal is is the is the chief aim. It's your main focus, not the um, not the process necessarily. The process is is a slave to the goal, basically, and and I was reading this one book by um, Ed Catmull about Creativity Incorporated, which is like about how his lessons from building Pixar and stuff. And mm-hmm. um, that he had this a very at the end of the book basically summed up with the same mantra: it's like, you know, making excellent films is our is our job, you know, and focusing on that and not becoming self-inflated with your own intentional goals and stuff, which I find to be interesting as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at a matte painting from Blade Runner, and I could already see like it's not super sharp, but it's kind of perfect because it doesn't yeah. need to be. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, so cool. Can you imagine doing the Blade Runner stuff, man? Oh. <laughs> uh, or do anything to do that. Yeah, just like sweeping the floor on the Blade Runner set, <laughs> Give, giving <laughs> well, somebody coffee. <laughs> yeah. Although it's quite, uh, it, it was. Um, when you look at documentaries of Blade Runner, it was from several sources. It was not the most fun shoot. No. So night time and and rain and how you deal with rain and technical issues and whatnot. But uh, I would have still been there. 
Yeah. No, most of Ridley's films are like that, especially in the beginning. You know, it's just yeah. challenging, you know, challenging film to make and wasn't even a success when it came out. So, yeah, it's you grown on, into this cult. Uh, and I wonder what that is. You know? Yeah. It's interesting. People are maybe just becoming more conscious of it through different watches that it's not like a first time watch throw it away kind of film it's like a multi-layered experience that takes time to really reapply how about for movies you're obviously into cinema what are some of your favorite films uh i'm a big fan of kurosawa Mm, especially the seven samurai uh so good there's a particular scene in that one where the village the villagers who are looking for the samurais can it's not beaten down but he's fended off by this proud samurai he's on this is on the road and there's this really beautiful contrasty shot of him being almost kissing the ground still remember it but why why i think it that one's particularly important because it has such a huge impact on western cinema and oh yeah huge sergio leone it's all the westerns everything yeah and speaking of sergio leone clint eastwood took that toothpick uh, reference from uh, the bodyguard, the Kurosawa '62 bodyguard, the Yoimbo, where the, sa- the 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 where the lone samurai is chewing on the on the toothpick as well. It yeah, Toshiro's uh, invention. Yeah, man, it's uh, that's what I was saying too in the original part of this conversation. Is like nothing's really original; it's just reinterpreted, and that's cool. Like because the West represents kind of a similar. Um, world basically from kurosawa is it's just from a different culture you know yeah where yeah. where humanity is kind of just running wild and there's just a lot of shit going on and there's so much story to tell in these these spaces you know mm. and through that experience you get a really great western i'm heavily influenced on it my lost boy project is heavily influenced by the both of those creators especially oh, nice. so which i because those are the those are like the um those are the key inspirations for a lot of things for many people. And um, you can really, once you really uh, study those films and understand them, you, you see the remnants in a lot of other things. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow, like that's totally a Kurosawa shot or like, it's totally from that or, yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a very, there's also narrative design to these shots that people don't generally think about when they view it. It's, uh, but it is, a, is an intention to everything. Like, why is the camera placed in, in this angle? Why this type of lens to kind of uh, pull the characters together closer or divide them and so on and so on? There's lots of lots of the stuff that goes into it. Yeah, it's awesome. It, it's That's master um, filmmaking. Eisenstein stuff is really interesting. Yeah, you ever study yeah. any, any of that stuff, film form, the book? Uh, I I, uh, I watched it many many years ago. Uh, I haven't rewatched it in a, in a while now. What's your um, thoughts on that stuff? It's more. Uh, there's a lot of it, it can easily get very philosophical. I think um, with that kind of cinema. Yeah. Uh, it's very much open for interpretation, which is good. Um, yeah. I don't know. I would say I'll probably stick to the Kurosawa type of treatment. <laughs> it just helps you along with, with your experience of it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, 
Yeah, Kurosawa, you really can't go wrong. If you're listening and you haven't watched any of his films, definitely at least check out Seven Samurai. It's just a master film in all different aspects of cinema. cinema. It's like, it's just really great. Um, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. It's like one of those, for me, I, I remember watching it going like, damn, I love this so much. It's mm-hmm. just, there's so many things to love about it. There's just so much context. There's story development, character development world development world building and then the art of master filmmaking you know like pulling you through the journey really well the cadence of the filmmaking the editing the style the pacing everything is just so rad yeah the actor's performance you know the in in uh, seven samurai there's the one that is that is the most highly skilled samurai yeah out of all of the whole group the actor he never held a sword wow but he played it so well; it was so convincing that the the viewers bought it. Yep, and that's just the master of filmmaking. It's all an illusion, smoke and mirrors, you know. But yeah. it's it's it comes from somewhere, you know. So, yeah, it's awesome. So that's cool. What else do you like? Anybody that's current? Have you seen any recent films that you're really into, or anything that uh, you? I suggest? really like um, <clears throat> uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, uh, there will be blood. Yeah, uh, so good. That's a that's a perfect film, I think. Yeah, it's just be- beautiful cinematography and, and and how the choice of lenses, the grading on it, and some of the shots are very so artistically, like the characters are so artistically positioned in the frame. Yeah, and when you think about the characters in the film, it makes sense why they're positioned that way. Yeah, that's a great film to study. There's the the thing I really love about that film too is just like Alien. There's no dialogue for the first like, especially with that film. There's no dialogue for like the first fifteen minutes or something like that. There's no spoken word. It's just you're you're sitting there observing and watching a person. Yeah. Do you and, remember uh, once upon once upon a time in the West? Uh, I haven't watched that in a while. Uh, Does that have a similar introduction. It's uh, it has a quite long introduction. No dialogue. And uh, it's an ambush or something, right? Uh, kind of, kind of. But it, it's it's really one of the best kind of like spaghetti westerns. And Sergio Leone was known for really doing these build up, uh, cutting, uh, oh, with the eyes cutting, and everything like that. Right? Or with the eyes and the music of Morricone. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, master stuff. So you got uh, There Will Be Blood. Paul Thomas Anderson is definitely a current day master. I haven't watched his recent Inherent Vice. I'm curious. I've I've heard mixed reviews, so I really want to check that out. Have you seen? Um, there's all kinds of really. This this has been a really great year of film. Have you seen um, Boyhood? Have you seen that yet? Uh, no. Yeah, I felt that was really interesting. I, I really like that guy's ways of using cinema. He uses it in a completely different. Um, context, I think, than most filmmakers. It's really interesting. There was also um, what else is there? There was Whiplash. I watched that. I really loved that. That was really a lot of fun. Um, have you seen that? Uh, no. Yeah, you should check that out. <laughs> Just too busy with the projects. How dare you? There's always uh, time for I a know. good film. <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. Just picking it out, but yeah well films are i think watching and studying films especially um being involved with them is really important you know like you're just more aware of like your position and job and what you're supposed to be doing and stuff yeah one of one of the reasons uh like we we actually have a guy coming to the workshop who's gonna he's working his way up to a cinematographer 
it's from Iceland, but the whole film side is so different to the to the CGI VFX side of things, hmm. and how you kind of start on set, uh, helping out gaffer and grip and you know senior grip and so on, moving on to uh, camera assistant and focus puller and then cinematographer. Uh, but there's like for the for the VFX industry is a little bit different because you can you can bypass the hierarchy by just studying on your own a lot and your own motivations. But uh, he's going to come and talk about film and uh, for those people who are really interested about that particular uh, branch of entertainment, uh, it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, this is like another, another thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about your films that you're interested, all the things that you're go- you're into, and what you're doing now, and a little bit of time management. Let's go backwards now. Let's start working on like, where did this all come from? Did you go to school? If so, where did you go? What was your experience like? And then prior to that, like, you know, what got you? What was the first moment that you can remember? I also want to talk to you about significant moments in your life and career where you had uh, a, a large amount of progress or some kind of. Um, where you were able to really see your growth significantly, something that really helped propel you. And I want to di- try and dissect that and figure out what, what was that and stuff. So, okay. A little psychology going on here. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's probably better if I skip back a couple of years to, uh, to after high school, um, rather than going year back year, year, because they all kind of connects sure. how it started. Uh, so I knew I wanted to do work something with the graphics and media. Now I didn't know exactly what this was before internet, the internet boom and website designs and stuff like that. So after that, I was thinking, well, why not graphical printing and work with prints and do that kind of stuff because I kind of like like doing it. And then I started. Uh, I went to. Uh, start learning web 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 design, screen printing, photography, uh, all these kind of mixed mediums, and then programming and uh, product design stuff. And afterwards, I st- at that time I still didn't quite know like exact discipline or the work title I wanted because there were new things coming up as I went along that were more and more interesting. But there was always the graphical and the art bit of it. So I wanted to also uh, give a go at doing traditional art. So I applied to the uh, Royal Danish Art Academy. And I did a couple of submission pieces. And I can say this now that I'm, I'm, I'm happy it, didn't, it wasn't ex- uh, accepted. Hmm. Because at, a, at the time when I got the rejection, I had a friend who recommended me. He's like, oh, there's this really cool school in Stockholm. Uh, it's two years and the last term is focused about internship at a studio so you can jump straight into studio environment work. And I gave it a go and there was a few requirements that you had to go through and learn a little bit of very basic 3D stuff. So I did that and I got into the school uh, and just just loved every moment of it. And that's where my first encounters with 3D and Maya and all the little different levels of production from uh, modeling, texturing, lighting, even rigging and animating and things like that. And during 
the the beginning of the second year, uh, I got a offer from Blizzard. During this time, I, I've I've been sketching and painting, like digital sketching and painting, do my speed paints or one session paintings at home, at more but more as a hobby kind of thing and posting on forums. Mm. And also at the same time doing looking more seriously into map painting stuff and following the map painting threads and uh, forums. So there was a couple of threads that had a few competitions and I started to submit to those and started doing more and more work, uh, more on the map painting side. And I started keeping an active website and posting some of this stuff and slowly getting more uh, notice. And a few jobs came in during the first year of that school, like commercial advertisements type of work. Um, that's where I kind of got some of the experiences. And during the summers, I used to travel to a studio called Real Time UK, uh, close to Manchester. And they did, uh, I don't know if you remember, the cinematics for Motorstorm when the PlayStation 3 came out. Hmm. There was this... Uh, uh, sports game, but they did the cinematics in Max, and and uh, they were kind enough to invite me over to do some summer internship uh, between the school years, uh, and that's where one of my first big bigger gigs started. I was doing concept art and map paintings uh, for some of their projects as an intern. As, as an intern, yeah, cool. So that was that was really fun to kind of jump into that environment, see how people work together and interacting and learning. Did you feel it was similar to school or was it a bit of a leap? Uh, it, it was a leap because at school there were people who were not that dedicated and when you were sometimes uh, put in teams and not everyone was ambitious, so you kind of had to, okay, well, you know, if you're not doing it, then I'm doing a bit more. Sure. Because you really loved the subject, you really loved creating something in that 3D realm. Yeah. Um, and, and, and those friends I can see today who are really ambitious, they're still working in the field. Yeah. Other people might have found something that they're more interested in. Um, so in the second year, I got the, the offer from Blizzard. Uh, and I think that was one of the, the big pivotal moments. I still remember getting that email. It was, I, w- I think I was flying back from the UK. It was middle of the night and four in the morning at the airport. I decided to check my email and then I started reading through it. And then I gave a little bit of a shout in the com- almost empty airport. <laughs> awesome. So then we started the visa process. Mm. Can you explain uh, what that is for people too and kind of how that works as well? Because there's a lot of people that are curious about that. Are, so it, it, it depends on the type of visa that you're uh, petitioning for. So the, the, the company through Blizzard, Blizzard has a, their own, a law firm that they're uh, doing these visa applications with. Uh, so the type of uh, visa that we were going for was the O1, which is like special skill type of visa. And you can get, I think, when I got it, it was for three years and then you can extend it by every one year. Once it's expired, you extend one year and add more. Um, but to be able to get one of those visas, you have to show proof of extraordinary skill and talent. So this means if you won competitions, 
if you won awards, if you've been in articles, or if you've been featured, all of that stuff is useful for the application. Also, uh, recommendation letters and reference letters from former clients. And you basically pile all this stuff together and categorize it, and then you send it off to their law firm. Um, the bulk of the work is getting all that material in and having signed on company paper if it, it's more specific stuff. Uh, and then they start the, the case. So bef- between, the, between uh, the time that I got the visa, which was in December of 2008, and, and when I got the email, uh, I, I worked at MPC for a while. This was during the time of Harry Potter, uh, Half-Blood Prince. That's when I first started. Um, I, got a recommend- I, I, re- I had a friend who was uh, recommended... Um, me to try it out because they were looking for map painters at the time and I thought like why not you know sure. so I so I gave it a go I didn't think it would go through but it, it went and and then I got this uh, position uh, at NPC uh, was supposed to work on uh, Watchmen I think it was awesome uh, but instead <laughs> instead they pulled me over to the Harry Potter and do Quidditch environments. <laughs> well uh, yeah harry potter is fun though <laughs> yeah we did uh we were working with yannick borgi who was the, the lead map painter uh um and do, uh, doing that bit of work and we're doing lots of snow environments because snow uh, season in that scene and the overcast uh but it was kind of nice to see uh because that was a more and bigger environment than the work environment than i was before at real time uh, and they were doing feature film stuff. At the time, I didn't really know uh, like very specific 3D stuff. I knew a little bit of general things here and there, but nothing that is um, like very TD heavy. So I did most of the paint work there, and I worked there until December, and that's when I flew out to California to work at Blizzard. Mm. And then from Blizzard... Um, that was really, I, I, I still miss Blizzard and I still miss my friends there. And that's where I met Vitaly and he was working there. Um, I was hired in the map painting department. And map painting department over there kind of functioned uh, as a studio within a studio. Mm. So there, there, were, we had, there were some things that you kind of had to respect in terms of pipeline creation, uh, restrictions and things like that. But sure. The, other than that, we kind of, you know, we could look into plugins and softwares and learn whatever we had to learn to make the shot work. And there were several kind of really ambitious shots, especially for map painting stuff, to, to, to do like stuff that is very highly interactive with light or effects. And you were dealing with static painting, so you have to kind of, how do you do a shot like that? So I think most of the learning... Uh, my VFX learning originated from there. Uh, it was very hands-on and very um, kind of problem-solving. And at, t- at some point, I even went into programming and writing a tool to kind of help out distribute some kind of uh, city data. We were doing a massive city. So was that it was for kind that of crazy fu- cinematic that you guys worked on. 
Is it for that the one? StarCraft one, yeah. Yeah, that thing is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no, but much that work was... in there. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> the level of, of love for these things is really felt from yeah. from yeah. the cinematic crew at Blizzard. There's a, there's just such a high level of yeah. of work in that stuff. It's crazy. It was uh, it was great fun. I really, uh, I kind of like these kind of side bits where you're not painting, you're doing something more technical. Uh, partly because you're at the same time you're learning new stuff, but also because you're doing something different and exercising different parts of your brain when you're solving these things, um, as opposed to just paint, 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 paint. Yeah, that's what I was saying. By educating yourself, you're allowing yourself different opportunities to try things you don't know, and then you never know what you're going to fall in love with next. You know, that's yeah, exactly. that's the beauty of it, and that's what's cool about doing what we do. Uh, we're we're kind of architectures of our own fate in a certain way, you know, with a little bit of control, I suppose, you know. Yeah. But that's cool. That's a cool journey. It's cool to hear that, and it's cool to see that, you know, just like you know, focusing and and really focusing on your craft and dedicating yourself to it can lead to the things that you want or you're desiring, and and yeah. now you're able to pick and choose your hours and then work on the things that you know that you enjoy. I, at least I would imagine, and. I, I think uh, it it is really for me. I think it's really important when you are kind of learning all these new things and tools and things you add to your skill set, because you're not only multiplying the chances of accepting more different types of jobs, but you can have more artistic and directional control over what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, sometimes if you're kind of like, oh, well, I only know Photoshop, then you kind of branched into a slot and you kind of have to perform to a certain level. Then you have to hand it off to someone who's either going to do something with the painting or composite it or whatnot. Uh, so it, it, it's the learning thing is, is really quite important. That's why we want to emphasize this during our workshops as much as we can. Yeah. I think it's... I think it's I think that's really a valid thing. I have a list on my computer of the five most important things to me, and then um, everything that I make big. When I make big decisions, I always uh, relate to this, and this is something that I learned from Anthony Jones actually, because he's really good at this kind of stuff. And the top one for me is family, and then it's art, and then it's health, and then it's friends, and then it's education. At least education's on there, but it's <laughs> number five. So it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't always get in there. But um, man, I, I, I must say that when I get a chance to sit and learn something new, whether I sit and just read a book on cinematography for an hour a day, and I get through it in like a week or so, or, um, or if I am, I do, a, I've been doing a lot of walking, I've been listening to a lot of audio books, um, mm -hmm. like, the four hour work week or um, Steve Jobs stuff or like the Ed Catmull Creativity Incorporated, these books, like they've been really opening up a lot of really bigger kind of concepts about how to work with your life and how to create with others and like just really big high level thinking, I, I think. And it's, it's uh, interesting. Yeah. It, well, it definitely, it definitely helps. Even if it's a different fields, it still applies to you because how do you deal with time management and how you sort out your life and what can you or want to put focus on is these are not just uh, segregated to VFX and what we do, but a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the kind of, um, 
I guess that's kind of like the interesting part about the journey, you know, um, especially with being a, a kind of like a freestyle creative person, you know, and yeah. Is there any suggestions that you have for people that are coming up that are trying to get into this kind of stuff that you're doing and building off with working on this kind of stuff? Is there anything that you can think of that was a profound thing for you in learning? Uh, I would say uh, what I mentioned before a little bit is to be aware of distancing your artistic self from your professional self uh, is one thing. It, it's more in terms of protecting yourself emotionally when you're doing work. Hmm. Uh, sometimes you work with a client and there could be like so many tiers of an approval and so many iterations and versions that in the end you're just going to look at the art director and kind of like, where do I move the couch kind of thing. Yeah. So it, it's... But at, at the same time, as you accept that this is work, you also, you know, you deliver quality. And for saving, saving kind of your artistic self, you can do and focus on doing things on your own side at, you know, weekends or nights, developing something that is just you. Uh, that will kind of maintain your artistic sanity, I think. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, another would be well scheduling if you you know give it a go is definitely helpful just to be aware that time is passing and then you reach certain deadlines or uh, certain hours of the day just to make you wake up and uh, you know take a break and move around and force yourself to to do different things um, so you don't get stuck in, in one single 12-hour session of one one job or one gig. Yeah. Being aware of your time, focusing on it. Yeah. Was there a yeah. moment that you remember taking uh, control of your time? Uh, I th yeah. We had a, uh, I was talking to a couple friends of mine, and uh, we got up to this subject of why I spend so much time on one certain thing. And then I realized that I didn't think of it as much time, but it actually was. Yeah. And that kind of triggered like, okay, I, I need to keep track of this better. Even if I don't follow it super, super strictly, it's always there to remind me. Yeah. That's like, oh, yeah, keep going. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. I was just, just going to interject, <laughs> but no, go ahead. Uh, I, I've seen these kind of, uh, um, these weak schedules to your death. <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what to think of them. Yeah, it's, it's, people are morbidly upset about it, or they're like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." I, th I think honesty just, sucks. <laughs> We're all dying. You just have to find a balance. You just have to find a balance. Yeah. <laughs> I think that thing for me, I love it because it's fucked up and it's funny and crazy. But it, for me, it's like it's real and it's true, and like it should be an eye opener for people that are just fucking around, like. You know, but at the same time, it's like, like what I was saying before too. Working hard and all that stuff doesn't mean sitting at a desk. Like, like I said, Mozart was a very accomplished person, and also worked incredibly hard. But from what I've read and understood, he spent a lot of his time walking around and getting inspired. So, that being said, if you're walking around and stuff, that's fine. As long as you're doing something, I think towards your goal of whatever makes you happy. I guess that's. The, the main intention of this life, I guess, is to just do 
like follow your bliss. I know that sounds super vague and like, what the hell does that even mean? But once you know it, it's kind of like love, I guess, you know, it's like, yeah. how do you like somebody could ask you like, Oh, like, how do you love your mom? Like, what is that? And you're like, well, it's just like, I, I know it because that's what it is. And finding that is really the key. I imagine, you know, yeah. 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 yeah you, you, you love what yep. you do, huh? Uh, <laughs> I do. Yeah. That's good. That's and it shows and in, in, in the passions there, you know. So it's important. I'm doing. I'm doing. Um, this is actually a good day today because I just finished a long uh, sequence of video tutorials for map painting. Hmm. Are you doing like Gumroads uh, or something? I'm thinking about it. Yeah, uh, I haven't chosen which channel yet, uh, but it's it's map painting is such an extensive discipline it's not just a 2d painting it's it's so much more because you're dealing with what is how do you achieve a real world a real world is vivid it's moving it's light changing there's variations there's uh, uh there's softness there's all these kind of things that goes into it so uh i think it's gonna be around 16 videos or something like that wow but I'm trying to do it like in chapters, so sure. it's each each chapter is like 15 minutes to 20. Oh, that's cool. It's like edible bits. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best way probably to do that because if it is really heavy and dense, it's probably best to take in, you know, little sections at a time so that people don't get too overwhelmed. Yeah. Because yeah, I don't so, know. I I learned. How do you approach when you learn tutorials? What's your? Do you watch a little bit, try it out, or do you like? breaking into sections and chapters of your own and kind of taking information, try it, and then keep going? I think uh, I'm aware, uh, like, tools have become so comfortable and so quick and easy and social media and, and YouTube, there's so much content. Yeah. And there's also, like, lots of learning sites like Digital Tutors and Lynda.com and so on and so on that it's very easy to pick up new things. And... Many years ago, I used to think like there's so many steps into learning this thing or doing and achieving this thing. And sometimes it still is, but it's become easier and easier. So when I look at ha having to learn something new, I kind of research and investigate. For instance, this, this tutorial is about creating snowflakes and falling snowflakes and turbulence and all this stuff. Mm, like thinking particles so, and stuff? Yeah, ex exactly. Yeah. Particles in Maya. Mm. Um, so you quickly go online, go to YouTube, and you type in snow particles, and all of a sudden you have a list of 20, 10 different uh, suggestions, each ranging from 10 minutes to 20 minutes. This is like, okay, it's not like four-hour sessions that I have to go through. Yeah, exactly. Just like little edible bits and pieces. Yeah. What do you think of the form of, of education now with where, where the industry is going, with the Gumroad thing and all these other like industry professionals who are exchanging and sharing their thoughts and trades and secrets and stuff. What do you think of that? Where do you think it's going? Um, yeah. What's your thoughts? Um, I think with, with things like Gumroad, it's very, it's very difficult to filter the, the value of that content. Um, unless the, the, the lecturer or the artist who's preparing it has many, many years of experience and, it's been well known for many years. Uh, with schools, it's different because they're specialized and hired for teaching uh, things like map painting or animation or 
what have you. As for, and, and on the workshop side, you see more and more workshops pop up. So networking is happening in a more intense way. Uh, so the world with, and together with Facebook, it's becoming more interconnected. Um, it's, it's, for one, the learning experience uh, becomes more easier because there's so many channels you can explore. The, ne the necessity of doing schools is, is good if you don't really have the 100% or 200% motivation or you haven't quite found it and you just need a little bit of kick. The school is good for that. The, uh, the online stuff like the video stuff, the YouTube and uh, all these learning sites are great, but then you have, you have to have the self-discipline um, to go through it and actually look at uh, what you need to do to do your shot. If you want to do snow falling or if you want to do know cloud movements or whatnot whatever it is yeah for the future i think uh the the expansions of uh, expansion of artists will be bigger because it'll be easier and quicker to learn things the pro the problem is going to lay in your artistic eye and how well developed that is because no video tutorial can kind of give you 10,000 hours in experience. Yeah. You, Certain things that you, which is I'm really thankful for, uh, you still have to have a really deep understanding of. And that comes with experience. Like how do you evoke a certain visual emotion or how do you kind of uh, understand a style or something that is not about clicking a few buttons and generating something. Yeah, but that's, even, that's the most. I think that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you get that with just uh, tons of time? Do you believe? Do you subscribe to this ten thousand hour rule? I I believe in it. Yeah. Yeah, me too. There's yeah. lots of people that question it, and it's understandably because it's everybody's different. But I think if you're, it's like water, like water hitting a rock. You know, um, if the water hits a rock for you know ten years or something, it'll create an indention. You know. Yeah. But it's just like water is the representation of time, I suppose, and throwing time at something that feels unmovable. But you're just taking little bits of pieces away because you're trying to get to that core essence of what these things are. And it's proof, though, you see it in people that are pretty amazing. They've it's around ten thousand or eight thousand or so. That's when they become a master level, whatever that is. You know, I don't I don't know if there is such a thing, but um, because especially with creative stuff, it's like nobody's ever a master of anything. I think personally, um, because we're all just attempting to capture that fleeting element that's never obtainable, which is like. I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on your goals and we're getting into theory. That's just kind of a waste of breath, but, um, yeah, it's interesting. Oh, I, yeah, I completely agree with it. It's just like, um, as you say, you're chasing something that you'll never catch. And if you're aware of it, that's great. Uh, but even we are, we have many years of experience now, even I can go back to a painting and think like, Oh shit, wow, this is horrible. I can still spot things that doesn't work and it's the same kind of feeling that happened many years ago to me when I was learning and I'm still learning and it's always about learning. Yeah. But, but the margins and the subtleties are becoming 
more narrower, so you're working in different kind of dimensions. Uh, I would say it becomes more challenging, and then it becomes you you become aware of narrative and storytelling, and how do you portray that? And it's it's yeah, it's just ongoing. It's yeah. part of your part of your life. Yeah, and I think that's a unique part of it, though, and I think that's what makes it. So that's why it makes it such an interesting desire, you know, because it is constantly fleeting and just giving your life to something like that is almost like kind of weird <laughs> because you, you can't, you get moments of satisfaction, but then you get moments of complete frustration or whatever it is, depending on what you're doing, you know? Um, so it's kind of like, why would you want to live a life where you punish yourself, you know? Cause that's what, sometimes it can be very punishing. There's lots of, artists or creatives that I'm aware of or have known or studied about like who are tortured souls, you know, because they just couldn't achieve what they're after, you know, yeah. and their, their pursuit of this, uh, this thing, it just didn't, it never coalesced or became what they thought it was supposed to be and whatever that, but that journey, um, into the unknown, the, what if the possibilities are, is, is, is it's like curiosity is too strong, you know, <laughs> it's a very human thing. Like it's, yeah. And if we're artists or not, we're always curious. Yes. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. Well, man, we'd probably wrap this up. I wanted to make sure that if there's anything that you wanted to make sure you uh, relate to your fans or just people in general, any advice or um, anything that you're doing coming up that you're really interested in, want to make sure people are aware of. Is there anything like that? So, yeah, we're working way hard on the book. Uh, the Kickstarter um, has some more information on it. Uh, it's gonna be really exciting. I hope people are gonna gonna enjoy it. It's I don't think I've seen anything like this before. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> but we'll see. Um, then we have the workshop in September, eleventh to thirteenth in London. So people keen on learning VFX, two D and three D, can check out our website. Um, I think that's that's it. Awesome. That's cool, man. Well, I think that we'll make sure we have links to all of this as well and um, make sure that everybody's aware of what you're doing and everything. And um, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. I, um, I know you're busy and stuff, so I appreciate your time. And yeah, thank you for having a chat with us. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you create and moving forward and all that good stuff. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, man, anytime. And I'm, you know, if you need anything, just let us know and pass along any links that you want to make sure we relate to everybody. And as everybody knows, you can always find that stuff on the site. So, yeah. Cool. Excellent. Well, thank you. Yeah, man. Have a great day. You too. Cheers. And that does it for this week's episode, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. In. You can find links to Levi's work and all of the show notes for this week's episode at reflectapodcast.com slash 94. You can also find links to our Facebook and Twitter. Check us out on iTunes by going to collectivepodcast.com slash iTunes. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Go be powerful. Go be prolific. Peace out, everybody.